0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Um, Today we are closing out our series in the letter to the Ephesians. I hope that you have been blessed and challenged uh, by it. We sure have. Um, Ephesians is one of the most deeply theologically rich letters in all the scriptures. Um, There are parts of it where it's very, very deep and weighty, um, yet at the same time, uh, very, very foundational to who we are, what we believe as Christians. And, um, and much of it is very, very straightforward. Paul's not trying to um, mince words or confuse anybody. Um, but over the last few months as we've walked through this letter, um, Paul has taught us about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Uh, the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe in him. Um, We've learned about how we are all saved by grace through faith. Paul's challenged us with the mystery of the gospel, the power of audacious prayer prayed in faith. Uh, You shift in the letter from talking about who we are in Christ as individual believers to who we are in Christ as the church, and Paul starts talking about the spiritual unity that we're called to as the people of God. We find that spiritual unity when we're all walking towards spiritual maturity in our own walk. And of course, we really, really move towards spiritual maturity first and foremost when we begin to rest in our spiritual identity as a child of God. And then as children of God, we're called to this spiritual purity uh, where we walk in righteousness and holiness. And last week, we looked at the beauty of Um, spirit-filled relationships, very specifically um, the power and the beauty of a spirit-filled marriage. That's kind of a glimpse of what we've hit on throughout the letter to the Ephesians. I want to say to you this morning, uh, Ephesians speaks as clearly to us now as it did into their lives then. And uh, with that, I want to kind of mention just for a moment... Over the last few years, um, there's a bit of a, a trend in our culture. And when I say our culture, I don't necessarily mean like American culture or Western culture. I actually mean church culture. Um, there's this trend toward um, being overconsumed with believing that we need to be relevant. Um, that the church needs to trip over itself to be relevant to the culture. Um, I believe that we have to find ways of of connecting in relevance to the people around us who need Jesus Christ. But with that said, I, I want to say that as the church, um, we need to be much less concerned with the church being culturally relevant and us as Christians, our lives being biblically relevant. And, and what I mean by that is, You know, we don't look at the church and go, hey, are we blending into the culture? No, but I'm supposed to look at my life and saying, is my life relevant to what this says it ought to look like? And so with that, let's move into the very end of this letter to the Ephesians, because I will tell you that there's a temptation when you begin reading about the idea When you begin reading about the reality that there is an enemy, that there is um, one who reigns over the darkness, maybe this is a stretch for some. Um, But Satan is very real, is very much a reality, and Paul gives us instruction on how we are to think about him, face him, go to war against him. In one breath, in the blink of an eye, in the fraction of a second, it's incredible to think that God could wipe Satan from existence. God could literally, when one blink, determine, you're done, I'm through, you're out. And because I know this, to be very honest with you, there are moments in my life where I just kind of wonder, hey Lord, why don't you just be done with it? Why don't you just vanquish him to hell and us be through? But see, at the same time, I I have to understand that there's this mind-blowing reality that not only does God receive glory, but I somehow receive joy when I get this privilege of participating with God in the war that he's waged against the enemy. That he's basically said, no, I'm not through yet, and you're going to join me in this battle. Now, one day, God will Wipe Satan away. He will be vanquished to hell and done. God will make everything new. He will wipe away every tear. But until then, God has not only given him the freedom to rebel, but he's given us the privilege and responsibility to join him in waging war against the enemy. So you come to the end of Ephesians. And in this closing of this letter, Paul begins by saying that a Christ follower, if if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are engaged in spiritual battle. Not, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you maybe want to be aware there's a spiritual battle going on. So in case, hey, you decide you want to participate, you'll know. That's not it. Paul is saying, follow Jesus you will be engaged in spiritual battle. That's how it works. There aren't cheerleaders. Um, There aren't even any sidelines. There's no onlookers or bystanders. In fact, if you are a cheerleader, onlooker, bystander, Paul has said throughout Ephesians, Jesus has simply said, then you're not following me. If you're following me, I'm walking into the battle. So, We don't get to kind of like say, hey, I'll just stand over here and cheer everybody else on. Nope, it doesn't work that way. We're all engaged in this battle. So with that, let's see what Paul has to say about it this morning. If you will join me in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 10. Um, You will or may, may notice we skipped a few verses out of the beginning of chapter 6. This is basically because we had to go through determining what do we feel like the Lord is calling us to preach, had to lay some stuff aside. So here's the deal. Children, obey your parents. Mothers and fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't wave authority over their heads simply because you can. Disciple them to Jesus. Okay, let's go to verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So right off the bat, and I want to say to you ahead of time this morning, I'm going to kind of walk through this scripture and stop along the way, and we're going to identify and address things as we go. Paul begins by saying, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. It's important to recognize this is not your strength that Paul is talking about. This is not physical strength. Um, that this is not of you or from you, that this strength and might is from God. He is actually offering it to you as his child. Okay, so how do I get this strength? Verse 11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord, find strength. How do I do this? By putting on armor. I want you to think through that for a second. Does that actually make sense? Have you ever heard of a soldier getting strength from putting on armor? Not while they're wearing it, no. Protection? Yes. Like imagine if you were back in the medieval times and you're a knight and you put on your armor. Are you going to get strength from that? Now, you're going to get strength if you put it on and you go out and run up and down the hill and then you take it off. Okay, I'm stronger. But while I'm wearing it, no, it's not going to work that way because physical armor is external. You strap it on, right? What happens is it weighs you down. And in the midst of battle, the longer and longer and longer I wear it, it's actually going to contribute to weakening me. But Paul's not talking about physical armor here. He's talking about spiritual armor. And spiritual armor is internal. It's internal and it actually builds you up and somehow supernaturally strengthens you. It strengthens you because it's made out of things like truth and faith and righteousness, which we're going to see here in just a moment. And Paul says that we need this strength that comes from this armor because you and I have to be able to stand. And you're going to see in a moment that Paul reiterates and he goes over and over and over the priority of us standing. We need the strength to stand. Why do you need to stand? Well, if you're a soldier in battle, particularly like a battle that might occur in Paul's day and time, You did not, in the midst of battle, want to wind up on the ground because lots of men, lots of people on horses. If I'm on the ground, I'm a laid out target for a spear. If I'm on the ground, I may very well get run over by a horse. I don't want to be on the ground. And hey, if I'm on the ground, I'm really not able to advance in battle. If you're a boxer or a fighter, where's the last place you want to be? on the ground. I mean, in boxing, if you're on the ground and the ref starts counting, you're in big trouble. But now, you know, we don't even watch boxing anymore. We watch UFC fighting. So it's way beyond that. If you get on the ground, you're in big trouble. You're going to get beat to a pulp. You got to stand up and stay on your feet. And Paul says that's what we've got to do. But also remember, I'm not fighting another soldier. I'm not fighting another boxer. I'm in a fight against the devil. And the devil has what Paul says are schemes. And so here's what you and I also need to know. The devil doesn't just have a playbook and he thumbs through it and says, let me see if I can find something good for Andy see if I got something in here for him. No, guess what? There's a whole Andy playbook. One just for him. There's a whole Nancy playbook and David playbook. Everybody's got one. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the devil has schemes just for you. And so you and I better be ready. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And I want to ask you just to stop for a second and at some point prayerfully today, spend a few moments and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anywhere in my life right now that I am wrestling against flesh and blood? That bitterness, resentment, anger, frustration has camped out in my life Because if it's there, I want you to know you're not engaged in the spiritual battle. You're engaged in one that Paul says, that's way less important. We're not in a war against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is here. He said to his disciples, the kingdom of God is among you now. It has arrived. Well, there's a spiritual battle raging because Satan wants to undermine, tear down, destroy anything that will build up or advance the kingdom of God. Anything he can find. Some questions to consider. Does Satan ultimately know that God's kingdom is going to prevail? I don't know. Does Satan know that he already has ultimately like lost and all this right now to an extent is just it's useless on his part. Does he know this? I don't know. But I believe that it's your job and my job as followers of Jesus Christ to let him know. To remind him, you've already lost. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, we know that Satan knew what he thought was happening, and then Jesus rose from the dead. Uh Uh-oh, that really wasn't what I thought was going to happen there. I think that we need to remind the enemy daily that he's already lost. So Paul says, here's the reality of this present darkness that's raging around us. Now, here's what you're to do about it. Verse 13. Therefore, because of this, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. And having done all this, to stand firm. Are you beginning to pick up on the emphasis and the priority to stand? Paul says, brace yourself, keep walking, stand your ground, stand firm. I think he's been pretty clear over what we need to do. Stand. And so now he's going to say, here's how to do it. And lo and behold, what's the first word out of his mouth when he starts to tell us, here's how to do it? Verse 14 Stand, therefore, and put on, having fastened on, the belt of truth. Why do you wear a belt? There's lots of reasons why people wear a belt. Maybe you wear a belt because it matches my shoes. That's awesome. Uh, Some people wear belts that doesn't match anything on them because they want to call attention to their cool belt, right? Great, whatever, but the reason that we wear a belt is so these things called pants will stay up. Where, how, and why the phenomenon began 15 years ago to allow your pants to sag is beyond me. Uh, I wish someone would rid this idea from the face of the planet because I don't want to see your Calvins or your BVDs. That's why they're called underwear. But think about this. What happens when that happens, when I don't have a belt or my pants begin to fall down, I am exposed. And, uh, you know, we hear that and kind of chuckle. (laughs) But it, it means more than one thing. Think about this, if I had to run a 40-yard dash right now, like for time, and it was a competition, which I don't really want to do, but if I had to do it against somebody, I'd want to do it against a guy with saggy pants. My pants are on, man, and I'm going to whip you. Because when your pants are not up where they're supposed to be, you can't move. You're not only exposed, what you are is vulnerable. Now make the connection here with me. Truth is, Keeps you from being exposed. And Paul, when he's talking about truth here, he's not referring to the word of God in this sentence. He's actually just talking about plain old everyday truth. That you have this confidence that when I say something to you, it's truth. That when I receive something from you, it's truth. That you and I have this knowledge that the integrity of the things around us are important. The truth is, keeps you from being exposed. It does away with this need um, for thinking that anything needs to be hidden. Think about David in Psalm 51. David, let's see, David has committed adultery. As a result, he's committed murder. He's lied. He's, He's sinned a little bit. And he is broken and in repentance before God. And in Psalm 51, 6, He says to God, you desire truth in the innermost parts. What David is saying here is, first of all, acknowledging to God, God, I realize that nothing is hidden from you. But now that I realize this, I wish that I had attempted to keep nothing hidden from you. See, when David started buying a lie and selling a lie, and it infected and infested everything in his life, All of a sudden, he tried to keep things hidden. When you and I live by the truth, we live with this freedom that I don't have to worry about something being exposed. It's out there. So fasten on the belt of truth moving forward. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is not the righteousness that ultimately has covered us and justified us before God through Jesus. This is talking about the sanctification that you and I are still going through. If you look with me in Romans chapter 6, Paul, Paul, Paul speaks directly to this. Uh, in Romans 6.13, he says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. As children of God, we are choosing to do what is right. So when I choose to do what is right, what I'm choosing is righteousness. And when I choose righteousness, it guards my heart. Righteousness is this breastplate that is protecting my heart. Because we also remember that our hearts can lead us astray. Well, I need to protect my heart from anything that would do that. The breastplate of righteousness. Moving forward, verse 15. So we fasten on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given, by the gospel of peace. If you're a runner, if you're an athlete, you know shoes are important. How some of the dudes years and years ago used to play sports in Chuck Taylor's is beyond me. Like, I just wear those things for fun, and at the end of the day, I'm like, dear Lord, I got to get these off. There are these two twin brothers that work out at the gym where I go And these are very, very big men. And they come into the weight room and they put on their Chuck Taylors to work out in. And I'm pretty sure they can lift my house. So I'm impressed with it. But I'm just thinking, are these the best shoes? You know, because like if you're a runner and you get like a blister, even this big on your toe, your goose can be cooked, man. Like I'm out. Or go further with it. You wear bad shoes and you get something like my wife had, plantar fasciitis. That will level you. Morgan had to have surgery on both of her feet. Shoes are important. What does this have to do with the gospel? Well, see, when I wake up every day and the first thing that I do is preach the gospel to myself, I remind myself of the good news of what Jesus has done that I am now reconciled back to God because of Jesus' death and resurrection, when not only I preach the gospel to myself, but I'm the first person that I preach it to, I don't just get up that day and I'm kind of prepared for the enemy to attack me. No, I'm actually ready to engage in battle against him. The gospel, the good news, makes me ready. It makes me prepared to step out in faith in whatever God may put in front of me. If I can't preach the gospel to myself, then I probably can't share it with anybody else. But when that hope and that peace and that joy flood my heart and my mind, regardless of my circumstances, I'm readiness. Put on the shoes of readiness that come from the gospel of peace. Verse 16 In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We need faith because Satan is going to fire at us all the time. Now, Paul says flaming darts. And I'm pretty sure that none of us have had actual flaming darts coming at us any time recently. If you have, please tell me, I don't want to hang out with you. But so what's Paul talking about? Let's identify some of these flaming darts. How about grief? That's a good one. That dart's going to get shot at you at some point. And there are times when like we, we've at least had an opportunity to prepare ourselves for grief. We walk through the trial of of watching a loved one battle cancer. And we come to the end of that and there's a part of us that we don't want them to suffer anymore. But you see, like last week, there are parents that put their kids on a school bus and those kids didn't come home. I'll be honest with you. I could not face that grief without faith. I, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how I walk through something like that without knowing that somehow in ways that I can't see God is working for the good. That God somehow will take something like that and be glorified in it. I don't have like a natural capacity for that. You're going to have grief fired at you. How about loneliness? There are some of us here today that you you might even say, you know what, Satan can fire anything that he wants at me, and I can take it, but loneliness, holy cow. Satan's going to fire guilt at you. Satan loves guilt. You know, the Lord has said, if, if you are his child, if you have come to him through faith in Christ, God has said, I have taken your sin and I have removed it as far from you as the east is from the west. How far is that? I don't know. It's like you can't figure it out. But it's like Satan is in the east and he gets in his rowboat and he rows all the way out to the west and he gets what you did and brings it all the way back to the east and knocks on your door and says, hey, you remember this? You stink. I just wanted to remind you. And, and those are the moments where I have to have the faith to say, oh, I know. Appreciate you reminding me about that, Satan, that I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you know what, Satan, did you know uh, that even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? So you might want to take that and wheel on back out to the West and leave it where God put it. Thank you. He's going to fire guilt at you. He's going to fire persecution. He's going to fire fear. He's going to fire self-pity. Be on guard for that one. We have to have faith. My faith is found in knowing who God is, knowing who I am in Christ knowing that my identity is not in my sin and my mistakes, my worth is not found in whether or not everyone else approves of me, but that all of that is secure in Jesus Christ. Put on the shield of faith. In verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, Paul actually says, take for a helmet the hope of salvation. My salvation, it... Guards my mind, the assurance of the hope that I have in Christ. It guards me from being misled by the enemy. I need this. And then Paul says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Friends, we fight every scheme that the devil throws at us With the word of God. That is the weapon. If you look in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus has been in the wilderness fasting and praying, and Satan comes to tempt him, what does Jesus fight back with? He fights back with the word of God. But because we need to be reminded of, of what we've talked about already here in Ephesians. If you go and you look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness... What does Satan try to use to tempt Jesus with? The word of God. Because he tries to take it and he tries to twist it. But because Jesus, uh, going back to that word we, we've talked about and introduced the last couple of weeks, hermeneutics. Uh, and obviously, Jesus has some pretty good hermeneutics. He understands the scriptures, Um, He's able to say to Satan, no, actually you don't understand that scripture. Let me put this one back in your face. Satan fought the devil with the word of God. We are filled. We are convicted and broken. Um, We are restored. We are equipped by the spirit of God through the word of God. And so if you are you're not building your life on the word of God. You are walking into battle without an offensive weapon. That's unacceptable. I saw this, this movie is coming out, I guess has come out now. Um, I haven't seen it. Hacksaw Ridge about this young man who um, fought, actually didn't fight. He was in the army said i'm a pacifist i can't shoot a gun uh, but i'm here and he wound up saving like 75 people's lives Um, probably a great story of heroism but here's the deal in the kingdom of god there is no hacksaw ridge there is no desmond doss you don't go into this battle without this weapon you don't it's not possible And so you and I have to be filling our mind, consuming our thoughts, building our life upon the word of God. It is the sword of the spirit. Verse 18, here is all of of this weaponry that you need. Are you a Christ follower? Okay, then you have to have these things. Along with, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication making request praying on behalf of all the saints and also paul says pray for me That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Pray. Pray some more. Pray at all times. Spirit filled prayers. There are times that you and I need to pray by literally getting on our knees and maybe it's in the closet, maybe it's in the bathroom. Praise the Lord if that's where you can get some privacy and just saying, Lord, I'm not here to talk. I'm here to listen. And maybe we need to spend five, 10 minutes reading the word of God and then we need to spend 15, 20 minutes on our face just saying, Lord, speak to me. And sometimes when you do that, it's crazy. God will start bringing things and people to your mind. And, and you don't need to chalk that up as a coincidence. You need to chalk that up as the Spirit saying, lift this person up. Pray. Pray with boldness. Ask me to do great things and see what I do. Pray, pray, pray. Stay alert. Keep praying for all the saints. Pray that we would have the boldness to proclaim the mystery of Of the gospel. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is here. It's it's in you now. Are you and I living for that kingdom? Because we've got to remember that there's a spiritual battle raging because Satan desires to tear down, to destroy anything that will build up or advance the kingdom of God. Are you married? Please know this, Satan wants to destroy your marriage. Especially if your marriage is one between two believers. What better testimony does he have before a lost world of, see, it just doesn't work. If you have kids, Satan wants to destroy your kids. Newsflash. And he's coming with anything and everything that he can get his hands on to deceive and destroy your kids. And that's why you and I can't sit back and sort of passively say, well, I guess I'll just address things as they come. No. You better attack your kids' lives with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The enemy's coming. And and understand this, there's not really any such thing as a passive Christian. So go back to what we said earlier. There's no cheerleaders, onlookers, bystanders in this. If we're not engaged in this battle, then plain and simple, we're not following Jesus. Because I assure you that Jesus is engaged in the battle. As we close this morning, go back to the very beginning here, verse 10. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Church family, the command for Paul to say, okay, finally, we're about to end of this letter. Aren't you tired of reading everything I wrote you? Finally, be strong in the Lord. Understand the implications of this. For Paul to say, find this strength in the Lord, what this means is that God is ready, willing, and able to provide you and I with this strength, okay? And so any lack of this strength is neglect on our part, not his. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, And through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's all available to us. All of it. Let me close by reminding you something I said last week, and I I think that Paul reemphasizes it here again. Obviously, there is a war going on in our culture. Friends, if you had Marty McFly's DeLorean and you could go back anywhere you wanted in time, guess what? There's always a war going on in the culture. So remember, the war that we are engaged in is not first and foremost a culture war. It is a spiritual battle. And so we need to humbly and persistently ask God, Lord, help us remember who we are fighting against. And Lord, help us remember how it is that we're called to fight, because we represent you. I was reminded last week of one of the lines in Martin Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. I'm pretty sure it's in the third verse, Martin Luther is talking about the enemy, and Some of these hymns, they're so deep that you can just glaze right past one of the verses or even just a line and miss something just profound. But in talking about the enemy, Martin Luther says one little word would fell him. Martin Luther lived with that reality of knowing with one breath, with one blink, in one instant, God not only can, but eventually God will vanquish Satan to hell for eternity. But until that day, this war rages on, and I will participate. But guess what? My God is a mighty fortress. I will fear nothing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we thank you that when we were incomplete, you have given us purpose where our lives were empty. You have come to fill us. We were dead in our sin and you have made us alive in God. You've reconciled us back to the Father. Lord, we pray that in this moment you would flood our hearts with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Remind us this morning, Lord, that there's nothing that we can do to make you love us more than you already do. There's nothing we've ever done that will cause you to love us less. Lord, remind us today that your approval is all that we need, and we have found that through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, today we ask that you would give us a hunger for truth, and righteousness. Father, that you would increase our faith. That you would guard our hearts and minds. Lord, that through the power of your word, you would transform the way that we think. You would transform the words that we say, the way that we live. This morning, if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity in just a moment to take communion. I encourage you, whether you come alone or with a friend or with your family, to take a moment and very humbly, prayerfully reflect Lord this morning we just acknowledge we remember and we thank you that your body was broken for us that your blood was shed and poured out for us you you became our atonement you paid the price for our sins so that we might have a life that we might know the Father. Thank you. We're going to respond to God in song as well. And during this time, if you need to come to the foot of the cross or the steps and pray, please come. if you're here this morning and you need someone to pray with you or someone to just share with you what it means to put your faith and trust in Christ, some of our leaders, our pastors, elders are going to be in the back at the tables. They would love to pray with you. Lord Jesus, in this moment, we lift you up and exalt you. We praise you. We give you all glory and honor.